the sum of our choices. And we cannot escape the past. Ethan, this mission of yours is gonna cost you. world is changing. Truth is vanishing. War is coming. It's been a long time, friend. You've no idea the power I represent. It knows your story and how it ends. Listen to me. The world's coming after you. His fate is written. Shall we write yours too? If anything happens to them, there's no place that I won't go to kill you. That is written. What's your objective? What's your ultimate objective? Your life will always matter more to me than my own. None of our lives can matter more than this mission. I don't accept that. Welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, and we finally return you all to our regularly scheduled programming in episode 323 today, August oh, 19th, 2023. We're going to be going right into our topic of the day, which is Mission Impossible Dark Reckoning Part 1. But before we do, I want to apologize to all of you very briefly about the unexpected hiatus that I have had over the last, I want to say about six weeks at least. The uh, situation was kind of a three-pronged thing, if you will. The first being that um, there were certain items that I was looking forward to discussing on the show that really just did not pan out. Um, one of which was like Dungeons and Dragons, the the movie, uh, just a terrible film. Um, the other, another one being like Indiana Jones. Uh, I just saw uh, such a deluge of uh, poor reviews from from like early screenings and that sort of thing. That honestly, I just decided I I was not going to see it in theaters. I, I might watch it on Disney Plus, but. Uh, I just didn't want to tarnish that which is such a a trilogy, the original trilogy that I hold in high esteem. So anyway, there was that. 
Then there was a company trip where they had all the employees come together for one whole week. And so I was out of pocket, you might say. And then as a uh, souvenir from said work get together, I ended up getting COVID. So I was successful for 3.5 years in avoiding getting the, the dreadful vid but unfortunately, it finally caught up with me, and so it knocked me out there for a couple of weeks. Um, and that I actually got that about a, about a month ago now. It's been about four weeks, five weeks, something like that. So even as my energy returned to me, my voice was still kind of gross. So I just didn't think it was the right time to do it. So those are the three major things, for lack of a better word that uh, ended up causing me to be uh, unable to do the show for this uh, period of time. But don't worry, as you can see, I'm back. So let's go right into this review. Just FYI, we're going to be going into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen the film, I suggest you uh, hold off on watching this unless you just don't care. So let's get right into it. I have been a big fan of the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movies ever since the first film came out. I think that it has been such a cool, entertaining thrill ride of a journey with each one of these films. It has been interesting to see how there have been a couple of occasions where they've decided to change up a little bit of the style and persona of Mission Impossible, but ultimately, it has been grounded in a, a uh, probably a, a unified direction now for multiple films. And this is no exception. It's really interesting because the previous film, which was Mission Impossible Fallout, was definitely one of my all-time favorite Mission Impossibles. I, I really did think that there was a lot to love about that particular film. And it was just so epic that by the time... Um, the film came to an end, I was, I was asking myself, how on earth are they going to be able to top this? Because there is so much here that works flawlessly. And I think that that was a creative challenge for Tom Cruise and for the rest of the crew in terms of this particular story. But I'm pleased to tell you that the overarching theme in this movie is very relevant with some of the advancements in technology that we have seen just within this past year. More specifically, AI. And I think that when they were filming this movie, it was back in 2020, 2021, somewhere around there, I want to say. And so I think that their research was pointing to the fact that, hey, there are several of these companies that are on the verge of having th these um, types of AI that are pretty sophisticated for our time. And so I think it was really smart of them to be able to hash out a story kind of revolved around this, this like super powerful uh, sentient AI. And this is something that we've seen in previous stories from, from other films. It's not like this is a brand new story, but the way they approached this particular story definitely, in my view, runs parallel to a lot of the concerns and fears uh, that have been voiced when it comes to like chat GPT 
or some of these other types of AIs that have been recently available to the public and, and more so what does it mean for AI moving forward as it gets more advanced, as improvements are made, it becomes more sophisticated. So in this movie, I mean, I, I really just, I love seeing Tom Cruise back on screen. He is such the gold standard when it comes to filmmaking. The way he presents himself, both on screen and off screen, we've we now have had Tom Cruise, I'm not, sorry, not Tom Cruise, Top Gun, Maverick, which another excellent movie. It's been a movie that I've been waiting to see for decades since the first Top Gun came out. And now we have yet another Mission Impossible film, both of which are absolutely excellent. He definitely is a pillar that is helping to hold up the relevance of Hollywood, especially in an age where so many films that come out are disappointing and are filled with lecture, propaganda elements and activism and just... I, I, I'm concerned about how Hollywood has kind of lost its way a bit in terms of just focusing on telling a great story, having that cinematic experience, that emotional experience. And this is one of those those few films where like, you watch it and it reminds you of like why you go to the theater. It, it reminds you of why you love going to movies in the first place because it's just entertaining. So there were a lot of folks uh, in Hollywood who could take some notes and learn a thing or two in terms of getting back to basics of like how that industry should operate, why it exists in the first place. And from the very beginning of this particular movie, it was so fun, so fun to be able to see how this story plays out. I also really enjoyed how they brought in some of the same characters from the previous Mission Impossible movie. Um, such as White Widow, for example. It was really cool how like she was a supportive character in the first film, and she's still a supportive character in, in this one as well. But I love how they, they gave her more screen time in this film. You got to kind of get a little bit better sense of who she is. Not a ton, but um, that was a lot of fun. You had Ilsa that was coming back too, who was like the, the special agent from MI6 who has had kind of a run-in with MI6. It's like she that's where she got her start, but she's not a part of that anymore. And so we get to catch up with her. And we also get to be introduced to Grace, who is this thief. And all three of these ladies in the movie all have a very specific persona. They all have their own um, specific kind of wheelhouse of sorts. And uh, every one of them works extremely well with each other. I mean, and even on, on the uh, the antagonistic side, there was a, a female actress. In fact, I need, I need to look up her name, but I was watching her and I was like, I, I can, I recognize her face. Like where, where have I seen her? Um, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad I looked her up because her last name is, is kind of hard for me to uh, pronounce, but Pom Clementif, I'm going to say. I apologize if that's not the correct uh, way of, of pronouncing that name. But she was Mantis from the Guardians of the Galaxy series. And she plays this henchman of sorts, or henchwoman, I should say, uh, of the main villain in this particular film. She was awesome. Like, all four of these ladies were fantastic throughout every single scene that I, I was able to enjoy and take in. 
in terms of, of the other characters, um, the guy who played Gabriel, uh, his name is, I want to say it's the way you say it is Asai Morales. Again, I apologize if I mispronounce that name, but he was great. Um, you had Kittredge make a return. I mean, he was such a, a deliciously conniving, well, not conniving, but like, yeah, yeah, he had his own kind of motives in the very first Mission Impossible movie. I think it was a wonderful kind of coming full circle, if you will, bringing him back into the fold. And the crazy thing is, and maybe it's because I haven't seen the first Mission Impossible in quite some time, he doesn't look all that much older. It's like they like put him in a cryogenic tube and just kind of placed his aging process on hiatus for about 20 years. <laughs> And they brought him back out and there he is. So uh, good on him for my goodness. Like he, he just, he looks great. So you have folks like that throughout um, the film. Carrie Ells was another delight. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Carrie Ells from uh, the princess bride. Um, my wife loves him in, in uh, men in tights. And it was something I was not expecting was to see him in a Mission Impossible movie. And so that was a lot of fun to be able to see that, see his character arc. So you have a number of uh, different folks in this film. And of course, you you, you have your, your stalwarts, right? Your Mission Impossible stalwarts like Simon Pegg, like Ving Rhymes. Th those folks are always a pleasure to see on screen as well. I really think it's interesting too how they decided to make this into two parts and it makes me wonder what the future holds for Tom Cruise specifically just because I believe he's in his 60s now and one of the very impressive aspects about a lot of these recent Mission Impossible films is that Tom does his own stunts these are not like your average run-of-the-mill stunts. I mean, these stunts are insane. And uh, props to him for being able to, to do what he's doing. And, I mean, it, it glues me to the edge of my seat. Every single time I watch one of these movies, <laughs> I'm both being entertained by the film, but I'm also... It, 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 is, it sounds really silly. But, like, I'm concerned for his safety and well-being because I know it's Tom, not like a digital double or a stunt double who's doing these things. And even though the film's already shot and clearly like nothing bad happened, I'm still just like, oh, I hope Tom doesn't get hurt. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty funny notion. But in terms of, of where he is at age-wise and in terms of the franchise itself, so we're going to expect part two to come out. I don't know if part two is coming out next year or if it's coming out the, the year after. I, I don't have the information on that. But it does beg the question, okay, once part two is released, what does the future hold in terms of future Mission Impossibles? Because at that point in time, in fact, I'm just going to do a, a quick search while I'm, I'm talking to all of you. It, may, it does make me wonder, will Tom Cruise be willing to do yet another Mission Impossible after this. So he's 61. So he, you know, he's in his early 60s. If he were to do another one where he's like, say, 64, 65 years old, you know, he's in his mid 60s. I think it's going to kind of depend on on um, how he's feeling, of course, and and just what kind of opportunities are, are there. Um, but it, it, I think it's worth 
mentioning just because we've grown up, my generation has grown up looking at people like Tom Cruise, like Brad Pitt, Harrison Ford. You have you have kind of this this grouping, even um, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You you have like a, a bunch of these stars who have been in different types of action films and have been very physically fit, very athletic, very capable men. And unfortunately, Father Time catches up with all of us at, at one point or another. And so there is a finite window of opportunity where you're able to do these types of uh, these types of movies. So I'm, I'm very curious to see. And it makes me wonder, like, you know, how am I going to interpret seeing someone who is 65 plus years being in a, a character role like that, where, where it's, it's very physically demanding and thinking about like, if this were to happen in the real world, like, could you, could a 65 plus year old man, uh, be able to go to fisticuffs, so to speak, because if you, if you've seen these knockdown drag out fights in mission impossible, I mean, they are very raw and brutal. And you're just like, my goodness, like that, that looks like that hurts. So, um, Anyway, it's, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Now, in this particular rendition of Mission Impossible, they end up going through some of the motions. I, I know I, I previously mentioned um, about how there is this rogue AI, um, and, I, and and they refer to it as the entity in, in this particular film. What's interesting is how they they actually go through showcasing various scenarios where this sentient entity is able to go into um, all the different types of international networks and uh, internet, that sort of thing, and be able to manipulate truth. And that is a very big talking point right now, too, where we see scenes of uh, the main villain, um, Gabriel, who is going through, say, an airport, and through the security footage, you're noticing that the entity is actually in real time erasing Gabriel from the feed, from the security feed itself. And that is that was a very thought-provoking moment for me personally as I'm watching this in the theater is that is something that is very plausible. You know, in, in today's world, we have... Uh, options like in some of the software that I use like After Effects or Photoshop where we can use uh, content aware which is a type of, of procedure where you can actually remove stuff or replace uh, different uh, components of like a picture or video with something else entirely you know it's all about fabrication and so to see something like this happen where even though Gabriel is at the airport and Ethan ends up kind of briefly seeing him for a moment when they're reviewing the security footage they're noticing how he is being literally scrubbed out of the footage and that's just one example but the idea being that they explored the theme of how truth is becoming harder and harder to ascertain and how the truth ends up being whatever it is that this entity wants it to, to be. And it's because it's so powerful, it's so sophisticated, it's self-improving all the time that it can run into problems. I mean, where like, you know, an another example is at one point in the film, 
we see how the entity has learned the voice patterns of Ethan's closest friends. And so Simon Pegg, for example, his character is trying to direct Ethan where to go in order to find Gabriel. And we've seen this time and time again in previous Mission Impossible movies where he's the one who's speaking in Ethan's ear, directing him where to go, how to catch up to the, the whichever villain it is. And in this instance, we watch how the entity ends up sabotaging Simon's... Well, I should stop saying Simon because <laughs> I just talked about, refer to him Benji. Um, in this instance, we, we, we watch, we, we bear witness to the fact that the entity ends up blocking Benji's uh, ability to be able to communicate with Ethan and then take and fabricate its own version of Benji's voice which then it starts to direct Ethan to a place that's that, that Gabriel's not at. Rather, it's there's actually an ambush that's waiting for him. And that's where another aspect of it comes into play with, with the idea of probability, because this is an AI. And so because not only is it self-learning uh, or self-improving, but also it takes analyses of different folks who it takes interest in, whether it's because it views them as a threat or it views them as an opportunity, whatever the case may be. And so there's, there's I'm kind of getting a little ahead of myself, but there are two aspects of here that I want to focus on. One is, is, is the, the voice fabrication. So we already have today in the real world, we have voice AI. I've actually played around with a couple of them myself and it is very fascinating and terrifying at the same time because we are on the cusp here of, of watching this technology really just launch into a direction where I don't necessarily know how we as society are going to be able to tell what is, what is fabricated AI and what is actual like real quotes from real people. The same thing can be said in terms of the video. I mentioned how like there's a scene where like you see um, Gabriel gets scrubbed out of the security footage. Well, I mean, in the real world, we have different types of AI software now that can watch about two to five minutes of a person on video. Like if you go on YouTube, like you could look up Joygasm and you can look at myself. And the, the AI could study my speech patterns. It studies my face, how my mannerisms work and that sort of thing. And then have original episodes of Joygasm air without me, the actual physical person, the human being, but instead have it be completely fabricated by AI. And I think that that is also something of um, great fascination and great concern uh, because once again, we're, we're, we're starting to see this, this uh, subtle transition where you're, you're, it's getting harder and harder to tell what's real and what's not. So you have those two, those, those, those two things to uh, kind of munch on uh, mentally speaking. But then at the same time, the, the third aspect is, is the idea of probability. And that's where you have the entity that is constantly strategizing, constantly learning about the, the kind of behavioral patterns of Ethan Hunt, as well as his teammates. And based off that, finding out from a psychological standpoint, from a physical standpoint, from um, the types of decisions that they make 
how to almost like a game of chess like like but basically like strategize and and think about like basically make a projection of if i get them to do this then this this and this will happen so therefore i'm going to basically manipulate this scenario to cause them to do these different steps and then the likelihood of them winding up at say this location or the likelihood of them um saving this person or fighting this person whatever whatever the the end result is there's a higher probability because it has learned about all these different aspects about a particular character so all of these themes are being visited throughout the movie and i love it i think it's great i think like i said it's a sign of the times i think that it was a a, a very smart move by the storytellers by the script writers to be able to use this film as an opportunity to be able to perhaps hold up a mirror to the real world and be like hey yeah like we're we're walking into this brave new world and it's going to be very interesting to see how the morals and ethics stack up how the how the actual um public square etiquette is able to survive and the big thing about it is, you know, how do people actually get to the truth? We've seen that also happen a lot too in, in the real world where truth is in fact becoming harder and harder to find because you have so many different things that are being weaponized. The media really can't be um, trusted as much as it once was because it has been so um, weaponized by different outside entities the government has also been uh, just making certain decisions and like things that we've seen. And this and this is not necessarily anything new, but like it is interesting to see how much of an emphasis has been placed on trying to control the narrative. And that's something that, that I, I do find fascinating. So in this movie, this is also something that um, is examined and, and used as a storytelling tool. And, uh, and and it does make your 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 skin crawl at times. It, um, <laughs> I remember at one point the entity actually stopped impersonating Benji and actually used just kind of a default voice that it was talking briefly to Ethan um, too, and that was pretty cold. That was that was kind of a make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, but also just kind of this weird thing, and it does. Um, oh, it's so funny how like, like the movie just just left, it just went out my brain. Stanley Kubrick has um, a film that uh, it is the funniest thing. How like I totally forgot as I'm talking to all of you about. <laughs> I see it. It's like the 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 space movie. Here, uh, this is driving me nuts. How I can have it, and then uh, oh, I just ha I almost had it again. Um, Space Odyssey. That's what it was. I apologize. My goodness. Anyway, I was starting to notice um, not like parallels to Space Odyssey, but um, definitely my mind had these, these brief flashes of that film as, as well, where you have an AI and how the protagonist has to go in and try and find a way to shut this thing down and how it's playing mind games. It's definitely being of uh, 
a psychological warfare nature. So, um, you know, by the end of this particular film, it definitely is ripe for part two. I definitely am looking forward to seeing what happens in the second film. And, uh, and even the way that, that, that this particular film starts out, you know, we watch this Russian sub and this notion that all of a sudden it sees some other sub that's under the water, but it's not actually there. And we're not sure if the entity created it or not. And the, that, the torpedo that, that the Russians end up firing out ends up coming back around and uh, destroying their sub and how, um, even going beyond that, Carrie Ells' character is actually more in the know than he lets on to be, and he and he's pretty corrupt and twisted, and a lot of juicy, delicious Mission Impossible moments. I'll put it that way. And that's part of the fun, right? Is like like these Mission Impossible movies always enjoy taking audiences for a ride and just sprinkling in those those different types of moments of surprise and it's fantastic it's 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 really great gabriel plays a very sadistic um villain i must say i don't remember him necessarily from a mission impossible movie it they seem to call back to an earlier time and if that is true, it had to have been like the first Mission Impossible movie. Before I saw this particular film, I actually binge watched a lot of the Mission Impossibles. I think I started at like Mission Impossible 4, which may have been Ghost Protocol. But um, it was the first Mission Impossible movie that Bad Robot Entertainment was a part of. And uh, watched them all the way up uh, to Fallout. And so I don't recall seeing the Gabriel character there and I think Mission Impossible 2 I want to say that one was more of a that was the that was the Ethan with the long hair I believe I, I, I and I definitely know the main villain in that was not Gabriel so Gabriel if he was pre-existing in a previous uh Mission Impossible film, it had to either be one or three. And if not, then maybe we're getting flashbacks of just another one of Ethan's adventures that we haven't seen. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to uh, for me to do a little more research on that. But, yes, every time this actor is on screen, Gabriel uh, is very sadistic. Um, it's interesting because there is a side of him that is, I interpreted as being afraid, but at the same time, almost like manipulating at the same time to try and entrap various types of characters. So that was a lot of fun. There was a, a scene in particular where his, his henchman, who was, <laughs> I almost want to refer to as Mantis, in fact, let me just look real quick on uh, IMDb here. Paris, that's her name. I kept I kept thinking of Palm, which is the actress's real name. So Paris was also a fascinating character. Um, she kind of reminded me a little bit of Harley Quinn. I'm curious to, to know if there are any of you out there who also kind of got that vibe, especially when they were in that 
very narrow alleyway and they locked the gates on both sides and she had that face pain and the the metal um, tube or whatever that she was using to beat on Ethan Hunt with and her whole outfit just really got me thinking and she had blonde hair too so <laughs> you know her maniacal way of fighting really kind of gave me callbacks to Harley which I thought was pretty cool honestly I was like alright I, I, I'm here I, I'm enjoying it and I also liked her character arc too where Ethan has the opportunity to either severely injure her or kill her outright and he doesn't he ends up taking that, that same metal tube and uh, smashing the, the stone that was above her head as like hey this is what I could have done to you but he leaves her uh, alive and as a result, she starts to have a troubled conscience where she's starting to wonder, like, is the, the person who she's working for really worth continuing this with on this, this type of mission that he's on versus should she uh, part ways and go somewhere else? And we don't really find out about that until... We have the scene where Gabriel actually kills uh, Carrie Ells' character, and that was that was such a prime example of the entrapment thing, where like he's letting Carrie basically try to like make a deal, when Gabriel has no interest whatsoever in making a deal with this guy, but he just that's kind of his shtick, is he likes to kind of make his victims feel like they have the upper hand before he just de just destroys them, and. On top of that, if I remember correctly, I believe the entity actually warns Gabriel about Paris. And so without hesitation, he ends up killing Paris as well. That was that was a, a big moment where, um, I don't know, it was yet another example of how I just did not expect that type of thing to happen. I figured she would just continue being his... Uh, second in command or whatever kind of role she was or if she was just a thug I have no idea and um, and then for her to, to also basically save the day like like save Ethan and Grace during the train sequence that was another thing I wasn't expecting and even um, the sequence where she dies uh, was very heartfelt really great facial performance acting by Palm and also with Tom Cruise and, and, um, and Haley Haley Atwell, by the way, I haven't really talked too much about her. So I was very happy to see her in a movie like this. The last movie I saw her in was Captain America. And I realize she's done other work since then, but I myself have not seen those movies yet. And uh, But in just in terms of the Mission Impossible franchise, I really do think she makes a wonderful addition to the the roster of characters uh i thought that that the chemistry the on-screen chemistry of her and ethan w were great it wasn't um there wasn't any kind of romantic interest with that but it was more of a, a partnership or a um, kind of coming of age friendship and it was neat to see how you know she's she's kind of a you know another dc reference she was kind of the Selena Kyle of Mission Impossible. You know, you had Paris, who was kind of the Harley Quinn of Mission Impossible. Then you have the Selena Kyle character come in where she's a thief. She's beautiful. She knows how to uh, slink her way out of situations and whatnot. Very Catwoman-esque, isn't it? 
Um, again, not a bad thing at all. I'm a big, as you all know, I'm a very big Batman fan. And I don't think that they leaned so heavily into that where it, it started to distract or detract from it being a Mission Impossible movie. I do think it was fun that for, my, for myself personally anyway, the nods, I would say, toward those characters in these characters was very welcome. Very, very welcome indeed. Um, the question that comes to my mind is where this particular Mission Impossible movie ranks among all the others. Because it's not an easy answer for me. You know, when I, when I think of all the different Mission Impossible movies that have come out, all of them are quality. Some I definitely enjoy more than others. And honestly, one of my absolute favorite Mission Impossible movies is Fallout. I, I really did love the cast. I loved what they did in that movie. The fight sequence between uh, Tom Cruise, Henry Cavill, and the other guy uh, in the bathroom. <laughs> Hands down is like one of the best brawls in Hollywood history, in my view. I, I, I have a hard time thinking of other fight sequences that was as brutal as that. Like just, and so cool. I mean, like you're just watching this thing and insane. So like in this movie, we didn't really have that. Um, we did have certain types of fisticuffs going on, but there was more of a, I don't know. It's kind of like the, this, um, I think the, the music played a big part in, in, uh, achieving this type of feeling, but there was definitely more of a sense of dread all the time where like Ethan was doing what he can do and, and, um, is a very, you know, physically capable agent, but there was always the sense that he was a couple of steps behind. And I think the music portrayed that, I think in terms of all the fighting sequences and that sort of thing, um, that was definitely like, it, it wasn't like, oh yeah, he's going to go in there and you know, he's going to kick some butt or whatever. Like it, it was... I mean, every time it happened, I never knew if there was going to be some kind of setup or ambush or uh, some kind of unpredicted thing that would occur where Ethan is about to um, get the upper hand or, or, or win in a particular face-off or battle only to have the entity do something that causes a lot of pain and suffering. So very very different but at the same time a movie like this it's very thought-provoking there there is a lot there and especially i would say from a technicality standpoint this is only part one we haven't seen the whole movie and this always throws me off too just because we've seen this kind of thing happen in the past where uh, <laughs> You know, you have a part one and a part two of something like, you know, you watch um, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, or you watch Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part one and Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two. Those films will come out one or two years apart from each other. And so I almost have 
more of a feeling of like those are separate movies as opposed to it being just one movie combined. It's very, I don't know, it, I go back and forth with that. It, it's hard to understand because especially like when, when it comes home, like when you watch it on like you know, any one of the streaming services, then you can watch those movies back to back if you want. And then it becomes more of a holistic experience. But when it's at the theater, I don't know. <sighs> Such a fun movie. Such a fun movie. I think I'm going to give this movie four stars. Four out of five stars. I really did enjoy the movie very much. I think that it is a prime example of what it's like to go to the movies to be entertained. Really appreciated how both Tom Cruise and the director actually had like this little two minute bit at the beginning before the movie started, thanking the fans for coming out and seeing their movie in the theater. This has been a pattern with a number of recent movies that Tom Cruise has worked on. And it really reinforces the notion that he understands the business. He understands the Hollywood business. And more so, he understands that his existence in terms of uh, what he does professionally is to entertain the audience. You need the audience in order to do that type of job. And so for him to really be grateful and thank everybody for coming out, for supporting their film, for coming out to the theater, you know, I think someone like Tom Cruise really does also understand how the Hollywood model right now is in a precarious position. It started when the lockdowns happened in 2020 was just this dump, dumpster fire of a year and Hollywood really took a massive hit. But more so, the, the actual theater owners took a hit as well because they couldn't have people coming in and watching movies. And so once the lockdowns finally um, were, were lifted and people could start coming back, by, by that point, you had all these streaming services out there. And so, and, and even today, we have the, uh, the strikes that are going on with the Writers Guild and the, the, the um, Screen Actors Guild. And so each one of these types of roadblocks or pain points, if you will, don't do Hollywood any favors. And so it's very interesting to see how that's going to play out. I don't want to digress too far into that. But the point is, is that that was really nice to see at the beginning of the film. The movie itself touches on this very, very big talking point in the public square right now uh, as, as it applies to AI and how that will impact people's lives. I think the acting in the movie is terrific. The locations of Venice and Rome and, oh my goodness, like this, the cinematography, all of that is AAA. Really, really, really great. The music itself has progressed in each one of the films. This one is no exception. I mean, I, I found myself feeling a litany of different types of emotions based off of the soundtrack itself. So that was just really well done. I just, I highly recommend the movie. I, I think that if you haven't seen it, definitely go out and check it out. I do know that there were a number of films that were out all at once. Kind of, you had Barbie that's doing really well. You have Mission Impossible. You also have uh, Oppenheimer. And I think there are, there are a couple other smaller movies. I know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, I think is what it's called. 
and one or two others. So like you, you kind of had this gluttony of films that were all kind of coming out uh, within a very short time frame of each other. So I definitely encourage you to go check this movie out. It's probably not going to be in theaters too much longer. Um, so if you miss out on the theater experience, definitely check it out once it, it's available for streaming. Thank you so much for hanging with me. and I'm so glad to be back with all of you. If you enjoyed this program, I invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm where you can enjoy exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention it helps to financially support me doing this podcast. Also click on that subscribe button as well as that like button. And if you weren't so inclined, you can also do a search for joygasm TV spelled J O Y G A S M TV on your favorite social media platform of choice. We have fun putting stuff up there every now and then that uh, might be up of your fancy. Last but not least, you can also do a search for Joygasm TV on Twitch to see me stream gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. I look forward to hanging out with all of you again next week when I review Oppenheimer. We'll see you then.